welcome to Church of the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. All right, just remain standing for one moment. So if you're new here, welcome. My name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Church at the Well. So we've been training some people through what we call our elder track. And one of the requirements of becoming an elder of a church is that you have to be able to preach and teach. And so today, we've asked Tony to come up and go at it. So if you would please welcome him up, that would be great. I'm in it. All right, got some juice here. All right. Let's pray, church. Father, we come before you today made worthy by your blood. We revere you as creator, sustainer, and redeemer. Lord, may you be magnified. Father, I pray that when everybody leaves here this morning, they have a clearer picture of you and your love for them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can sit down. It's a little different feel here. Used to the worship side of things. So um, today, as I was preparing for this message, um, there were a lot of things that were coming to my mind. And as you know, you guys, a lot of you guys know me from uh, leading and singing with the team. This is different. And something I haven't done since March. So I'm a little rusty. And as you know, um, when you're rusty, you get a little nervous. But there's a few things that I was reminded of this week. And the first thing I was reminded was in Isaiah 48. 40 verse 8, it says, The flower, the grass withers, and the flower, fl- the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And that is what I want to anchor on this morning. And uh, another quote that really encouraged me is Charles Spurgeon. Sometimes his quotes are encouraging, sometimes not, not so much. He said, go to God. Don't go to God in your strength. He has plenty of that. Go to God in your weakness because he has none of that. So that's how I want to present God's word this morning. So last week, Pastor Kevin started. Uh, we, we opened our series in Hebrews, and Hebrews is possibly the masterpiece of the New Testament, the literary masterpiece of the New Testament. And as Pastor Kevin started, he started to build, the author here builds some beautiful delineation in this text. He starts out talking about the old and walking into the new saying that there was once a covenant between God and man that was mediated by the law and the prophets and angels, but that there's a new day. A new day has dawned, and that new day has dawned in Jesus Christ. So as you move forward, and and we see this this text that Christy read for us this morning, is you see the highest, most excellent Christology maybe in the New Testament. We see the highest positioning verbally of Jesus in the New Testament maybe. 
You wonder why is that? Well, it's really important. Because the church at this time, 8060, 8062, somewhere in that range, was starting to feel some pressure. It's been a while since they had seen Jesus, and maybe you could say that the shine or that feel was starting to wear off. Real life was coming to friction. They were starting to lose friends. The Jewish Christians were starting to lose friends. They were being pressured by the religious leaders as to why are we not seeing you in the temple? Their businesses were being impacted. They were being boycotted. They were really starting to feel the heat of what it meant to follow Jesus. So there was nothing more appropriate than the author of this book creating the most powerful delineation of who Jesus is. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the Messiah. God revealed in human, perform, in human form and perfection through Jesus. This passage here, in verse three and four, I think highlights four different things. So the main clause of this verse is that after, let me just read here before I start quoting it off here. So in verse three, it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So there's, main, there's one main clause that grounds everything, and it is this. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the main, the main subject is he, Jesus, and the verb is sat down. In essence, it says, Jesus, being the radiance of God's glory, sat down. Jesus, being the exact representation of his nature, sat down. Jesus, upholding all things by the word of his power, sat down. Jesus, after making purification for sins, sat down. And so these are the main four points that I want to bring across today to you as we work through this passage. So we begin with he being the radiance of God's glory. Now, the author is making this, this plea here extremely, a lot about God's deity, but also extremely personal. And there's different ways we can understand radiation. You can understand radiation as, as a reflection, and that would be like if, you're on, if you've ever been by a lake on a beautiful summer, summer morning and you go to the lake and you look in the water and what do you see? You see yourself. That's a reflection. Let me ask you a question. Is what I see in the water me? No. Or if you go to a mirror and you look in it before you go to church, making sure you're all set up right, is what you see in the mirror, is that you or is that a picture of you? It's a picture. What the author here is trying to communicate, in my opinion, is an ontological radiation or an actual, personal, metaphysical radiation. We are going to focus on the idea that the invisible God manifested himself to us in the form of a human, yet still maintained his lordship. 
I want you guys to think of radiation, and, and, uh, and my examples are all not that great, so bear with me. If you see cotton in a cotton field, and then you see a 100% cotton t-shirt, right? Is that cotton in the cotton field still cotton? Yeah, is the t-shirt still cotton? Yes. That's how I want you to think through the word radiance with me this morning. In John 1.14, it says, the word became human and lived among us. <laughs> We saw his glory. It was the glory that the Father shares with his only Son. Shares with his only Son. A glory full of kindness and truth. Think about this. Just like the sun in the sky, there is never a time when the sun is not shining. As, the fa- as God the Father exists, God the Son exists. The Father and the Son are co-eternal. I want to turn to... Um, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 says this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ is not representing God. He is God representing God. He is the Father radiate, radiating out as the Son. John 14, 9 says, Those who have seen Jesus have seen the Father. Just the mere fact that the author calls Jesus glorious is, in, in, in essence, saying this is God because we all know glory is originated by who? God. As believers in the first century, they're starting to look back. They're starting to say the old way is better. The Messiah, I just don't know. The author is kindly and powerfully pulling them back towards Jesus. For us as human beings, radiance is measurable or quantitative. I'm not going to ask who, but... If you want to get a really quick tan, what do you do? You go to the tanning bed, right? Why? Because it's super radiant. You, you don't have to sit outside for five hours. You can go for nine minutes and get a nice crispy tan, right? All right? So your closeness to that light makes you understand its radiance. How about this? And this is, then my wife helped me with this one because you know I'm a big sports fan. If you ever talk to a lady, there's a, there are some ladies who just like watching sports on the TV. But most, most women want to go to the game and watch the game. And I do too. Because when you're at the game and you're close to the activity and you're getting drinks spilled on you and you're randomly high-fiving people you don't know <laughs> and everybody there, 70,000 people, is screaming the same direction you are, there's something powerful, there's something magnificent about being at the game. Now, the game on TV and the game there. Nothing changes in the result. You don't change the game, but being at the game, there's something that changes in you. I have a son named Landon. He's not here this morning, but he likes fires. And we have fires a lot at our house, and Landon's the king of throwing way too much wood in the fire. Right? And so he'll just keep loading it on, but Landon, we're good. And pretty soon we're like 25 feet away from the fire. (laughs) This is how I want you guys to picture the glory of God, pictured through this author. Now that fire that Lannan's got stoking at 8,000 degrees, the temperature of that doesn't change, right? But my positioning near the fire changes the radiance of that fire to me. 
Last week, Kevin made a powerful statement, and he's made a lot, is the fact that God doesn't move, but we do. God the Father, revealed in human form as God the Son, Jesus, is always full of glory. He is the originator of glory, the definer of glory, and there is never a time when his glory is not fully broadcast. Our recognition of his glory on our little finite scale doesn't have any bearing on how full of glory Jesus is. Doesn't change him when we see him as powerful and glorious. Recognizing Jesus as God and full of glory changes you. This has major implications in your life. See, these, these first century Jews were saying, you know, the closer I move to the law, the more I embrace the law, the heavier I feel. And the author is just telling them, hey, if you move deeper and closer to Jesus, the lighter and lighter you'll feel. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's pulling them back bringing the godhood of Jesus into laser focus because they are drifting. In this body, our earthen vessel, formed with the dust of God's creation, we will wander. And I know some of you guys are feeling that right now. There is a reality that any time we are capable of fulfilling 1 John 2.16 and fully participating in the lust of the flesh, fully participating in the pride of life, fully, fully um, desiring, fully going after what our eyes desire. We may even walk back into a works-based ideology. And that is why we, as Christians in 2023, need this just as bad as the original audience. Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is living and active and it will always have the highest relevancy in space and time. Christian, if you're struggling, I want to tell you this right now. This struggle, this casket, it's going away. There is going to be a time we don't see it now. As Kevin said it last week, we're in the already, but not yet. We're in the burgeoning of a new time. We're going to see God in all his glory. We will not wander from God. And we will reign with him forever. The next point I want to bring up is Jesus being the exact representation of his nature. What did he do? Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus being the exact representation of his nature. Jesus represents the nature of God in that he becomes the testimony of God's character. God is revealed in the Old Testament in many different ways. We see him as a cloud. We see him as fire. We see him as a burning bush. In the New Testament, God reveals himself in the form of a human. Remember Kevin said last week, the Old Testament testifies or prophesies about Jesus, and he is God who fulfills that testimony. John 5, 37 says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And now we have Jesus. 
Earlier, we read out of John chapter 1, and it called Jesus the Word. This word logos means that Jesus is the total and complete message of God to humanity. I love this. In the Westminster Larger Catechism, it says this about the nature of God. God is infinite in being and perfection, unchangeable, immense, eternal, uncomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, and long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. All that statement is true about God the Father and is true about God the Son. And Jesus comes here in his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and now, as the scripture tells us, seated above the cosmos, ruling and reigning with the Father according to his sovereign plan. One of my boys says this to me all the time. He says, Dad, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Usually comes at the best moment too. I hope this is helping you understand the picture that the author is trying to paint for these Christians that are struggling. I hope this is helping you understand if you're going through something that's difficult, who Jesus is. We want to, we want, I want to communicate the best I can the magnificence of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the fact that Jesus shares God's nature. To hear information about someone is to gather information and, 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 and we have that to work off of. If someone says, well, um, that's, if I say that, my wife is Stephanie, um, she is, I could go on and on and on about her. Someone would know all about her and they'd think, man, she must be like the best wife in the world and she is. But they wouldn't actually know her. Seeing someone, listening to someone, touching someone, watching someone interact with other people is how you know what nature they have. I have a friend in college, he's still one of my best friends. I met him. And he, we got to know each other, and he said, Tony, we, got, we were getting to know each other. He said, yeah, my dad died when I was four years old. And obviously that's a sad story, and I'm sure some of you guys have, have, have gone through that. He says, you know, my mom tells me that my dad loved me so much. And my mom tells me that he was super patient with me. And when I would cry, there's nothing I could do to make my dad mad. Nothing. My dad, my mom tells me that he was kind and loving to me and literally every night he would read a story to me. And I believe that about my dad. And I got to thinking about that. My dad is still alive. And my mom tells me when you were little, your dad used to spend so much time with you. And he used to play football with you and baseball and basketball with you. But you know what? I have my dad. I've felt my dad, I've seen my dad, and I've watched my dad. And the things my mom says about my dad are true because he showed them to me. 
Do you understand? God is, we are talked about God all through the scriptures and Jesus is showing you who God is. This is something that this church, our church and the church in the first century needed to hear so badly. Some of you may say that the God of the Old Testament, I've heard this and I'm sure all of you have, was this wrathful, angry, mean, unpatient God and all he really wanted to do was strike down people. I would challenge you to take a very nuanced look at who Jesus is in the New Testament. And you'll find that the way they interacted with creation was almost identical. It's a little bit different to the touch and the feel, but they shared the same character and handled things in the same exact way. Colossians 1.19 For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2.9, for in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. John 14.9, Jesus says to Philip, have I been with you so long and you still not, do not know me, Philip? Does this sound like something you would say to the first century church or maybe to us? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? This is it to Philip. The full message Jesus became flesh, took on human form, and came to dwell among us. Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want to read for you Philippians 2, 5-11, if you want to go there. Starting in verse 5, Paul admonishes the church. Have this, mind among you, your, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These Christians had developed wrong thinking that Jesus may not be enough and that Jesus was... um, but, but what, what the author's saying is that Jesus was sent in human form, not to be made level with man, but to have relationship with him. Jesus was God, seen, heard, and touched. Our next point Jesus upholding all things by the word of his power. This is showing God as the creator and the sustainer. Here the author is attempting to remind the Jewish believers that Jesus is not only the creator, but the active sustainer. Upholding is actively, it's active in the verse. It's not something where Jesus creates and lets the laws of nature take over. Jesus is active in your very next breath. 
not only is Jesus creator and sustainer, church, God didn't create it and leave it alone. Literally, your next breath is only happening because Jesus breathes it. When we as Christians don't actively and daily realize or comprehend that Jesus is the glue that holds matter together, there are consequences in our life. When the pressure comes, and the pressure, if it's not on you right now, it is coming. When the pressure comes, the church must understand it. We must understand that the sustainer of the universe is in control of everything according to his sovereign will. As they are starting to lose family, friends, their businesses are struggling, they will be upheld by Jesus. The consequences here are that they are walking back to works. They are feeling the costs of following Jesus and grabbing for control. If I get a little bit emotional during this time, it's because I struggle so bad with this. They're going back to the Old Testament rituals and works and walking away from the sustainer's new covenant of faith. Christian, the same is the same in the first century it is today. A relationship with Jesus doesn't give you comfort. It doesn't make your life, I don't want to say that wrong, it doesn't make your life comfortable. Being here on this earth is a very uncomfortable proposition. And when we don't see God as the creator, the sustainer, and the upholder, what we do is we start to count the cost. And when we count the cost, we grab for control. And that's a bad cycle. But when you and me in this early church embraces God as a sovereign creator, controller, redeemer, sustainer, it gets uncomfortable and it gets really hard sometimes. But you don't count the cost because you know who's in control. These are the consequences if we do not understand what God is actively doing in the world. The next point the author makes here is that Jesus, having made a perfect purification for sins, sits down at the right hand of the majesty. Like Pastor Kevin said last week, this is personal. This is a 100% personal action by Jesus. Last week, Kevin said he was enamored by the thought that God would speak. God, who's able to communicate in any unintelligible language through telepathy, whatever he wants to do, decides to lower himself in order to communicate with people. An infinite God wants to communicate with a finite, fallen people. This wasn't Jesus going out and finding a mediator for his creation. He wasn't finding someone to forgive the sins of the world because he knew it would take the blood of deity 
to forgive the sins of the world. It couldn't be just a man. This was Jesus going out in full humanity and full deity to sacrifice his perfect blood in order that you may enter into a relationship with God the Father. He became a living, breathing, feeling human being. This wasn't a mirage or a hologram or a ghost. This was a real person. You remember Thomas? After Jesus dies and is resurrected, he he wants to touch Jesus' hands and he puts his hands right in the holes where Jesus was crucified. Hebrews 4.15, I want to quick read this for you guys because I think it fits really nice. Hebrews 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect, every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He fully experienced the human condition and with every breath he took, he brought the human condition into perfection. Something you or I could never do. And if there's one point the author wants to just nail home to these people is you can't do it. So stop trying. What Jesus did is done. something you or I could never do. And what really is amazing to me and touches me is that he created us knowing that he would have to come and get us. He'd have to come and redeem us with his own blood. That redemption work cost him more than we'll ever be able to grasp. And he did it with joy. He didn't complain. Paul, who we think might be the author of Hebrews, in Romans 8.3 says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus, knowing that God's justness, justice needed to be served and that the law must be obeyed and fulfilled, comes on your behalf. Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. The author is reminding his audience that the law has been fulfilled in Jesus and there is no need to make any further sacrifices at the temple. Jesus was perfect in word and deed. To us, this is very humbling and it hearkens us back to our first love, Jesus. New Testament church, do you, ever just th- do you ever just sit and think about it? Jesus, our king, wore this. We always think about the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And obviously, something my mind can never fathom. And what a wonderful, amazing work that was. But what about this? These brought him into perfect subjection. This brought it into perfect subjection. These, he brought him into perfect subjection. Jesus says, Tony, I know out of that mouth you're gonna curse people, you're gonna gossip, you're gonna say inappropriate things, but it's okay because I won't. 
Jesus says, Tony, that mind of yours, you're going to think things about people that aren't kind. You're going to think things that aren't true. It's okay. I won't. Jesus says, with your feet, you're going to go places you have no business going. And with your hands, you're going to touch things that you have no business touching. But it's okay. Because I won't. Are you guys understanding the significance of Jesus coming here and wearing this flesh? Let me ask you guys, can you trust Jesus? Sometimes I don't feel like I can. And that's why this scripture is so important to us. Because you can trust Jesus. Jesus with everything. Finally, we're going to get to the fact that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus, being the radiance of God's glory, sat down. Jesus, being the exact representation of his nature, sat down. Jesus, upholding all things by the word of his power, sat down. Jesus, having made purification, purification for sins, sat down. Now, to us, we may just peruse past this, right? We may just say, oh, okay, well, that's what you do when you're done working. But the reality here is in this first century, the priest never stopped working. And in the temple where they would minister, there, were no, there weren't even any places to sit down. You didn't sit down, man. You kept working. And that mediation that the priest would make on behalf of the people to God would always be perpetual. It would never, ever, 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 ever end. I don't know if you guys ever had a job that just never ended. Have you ever had a job that never ended? It's like, dude, one time I got hogged. I don't know how this happened, but I got like, tied up into filling up mosquito bottles when I was like 16, mosquito spray. And I swear, the guy never, he didn't, there was an unlimited supply of bottles and an unlimited supply of fluid. We just keep going. I think you, Kevin, you shredded paper. I was like, there's these things that just never, ever stop. This is how they saw this. And for the writer to say that Jesus sat down is magnificent. It implies that there was no more work to be done. And that Jesus had completed what he set out to do for his people. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. I'm going to read that to you. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 sums this whole idea up very beautifully. And every high priest, or every priest, stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. I mean, how many times do you guys feel like you're repenting like 500 times in one day? Maybe that's low. Maybe that's a low number, right? Which can never take away sins. But when Jesus, when, but when Christ had offered for all time a single, uno one, sacrifice for sins, he sat down, where? At the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool, footstool for his feet. 
For by a singular offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Amen? So in one powerful sacrifice, Jesus ends all blood sacrifices. He ends all working. He ends all striving. And as a New Testament Christian, this is the best news for you. Because all 750 pieces of the law, you couldn't keep it. And you wouldn't want to. Right? I mean, I sin and I don't even know it. Jesus says, it's okay. I'm your high priest. I'm going to go in on your behalf with my blood. In this verse, you may say, having perfected a people, well, I don't feel very perfect. Like, even on the way here, someone cut me off in East Boston. I got angry. I was fixing to preach a message. And I got angry. Like, I was like, dang, man, you're, you're pretty messed up. <laughs> like, because of what Jesus said, and this, I think these, these verses, this three and four could probably be like 10 messages. So we're not going to get into the deepest parts of justification and sanctification. But because of Jesus' blood, you have been legally made just before God. So you stand justified forever before God in heaven because of Jesus' blood for you. Now the struggle is that we still have this. And we're here. There's this process called sanctification. And it's the process, it's your faith struggle, right? It's the process of being here in a broken world with, broken, with a broken or uh, rotten body trying to follow Jesus. And you fail. But the reality of that, guys, is sanctification is proof of justification. Because apart from God, you cannot even try. I like to say this to myself when I'm down. Faith is the fighting. You know, the fact that I'm even fighting this thing right now, praise you, Jesus, and I know you're going to help me overcome it. The author does something, another very powerful phrase here, when he says, at the right hand of the majesty on high. You may say, well, the right hand of the majesty on high, not a big deal. Oh, no. (laughs) It was a big deal, and I'm going to tell you why. The author, adding another layer to prove Jesus is God, says the location. In Psalm 110, verse 1, King David, who these people would know very well, the Lord, he says this in Psalm 110, verse 1. He says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. What did we just read in Hebrews chapter 10? The right hand signifies power, Protection and triumph. Power. Exodus 15, chapter 6, and I'm reading all these verses that I believe these Christians would know pretty well. These Jewish Christians would have this. They would, they would be able to understand this. And I think it starts to come to life for them. I think that's what the author's trying to do. He's trying to pull these texts and bring them to life in Jesus. He says in Exodus 5:15:6, these believers would know this very well. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Protection. Isaiah 41:10. These believers would also know this. Fear not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with what? My righteous right hand, parentheses, Jesus. Triumph. Now I, in, in Psalm 20, verse 6, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer them from his holy heaven with, it, with the saving might of his right hand, Jesus. Him using the right hand was a bomb to these believers because it was absolutely saying that Jesus is God. And then encouraging them that he will provide power, protection, and they will triumph. It's hard right now, but you will triumph. It's hard right now, but I've got you. I'm powerful. You're going to come against some things, but I'm protecting you. I think it's really interesting here that the author doesn't base all these claims on the merit of these believers. He doesn't say, you guys are going to get through because you're strong. You guys are going to get through because you're really powerful. And I think you're going to triumph. Notice how the author doesn't place that on the people or their merit or their ability. A law-based idea. But he says, what? The right hand of the Father is going to provide that. The writer says, Christian, Jesus is more powerful than your adversaries and I will crush them. The writer says, Christian, Jesus will strengthen and help you and uphold you. Don't be scared. The writer says, Christian, Jesus will save you and you will be triumphant with him. I implore you today to put your full dependence on Jesus Christ, just as the author was pointing these Christians. I know my full text was Hebrews 1, 3, and 4. But Kevin, Kevin was really nice and he didn't creep on the text for me, so I'm going to leave a little bit, leave this to him. The next seven verses really go into how God deals with angels and dealing with the new covenant. But there's a statement in verse 4 that I just really quick want to touch on. It says, in verse 4, it says, Having become as much superior to the angels, angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Guys, this is another message. This is another sermon. But when Jesus sat down on the throne, it was set. It was greater than the angels. And Kevin's going to teach you guys all about how that was important for them to understand. So in closing today, I want to ask you guys some questions. Stephanie was cutting my hair last night because she said, you can't go there looking like a bum. <laughs> and she said, she said to me, she said, Tony, what have you taken away from this? And I said, I'm struggling with that. Nine o'clock last night. Because while I understood it, and I knew it, and there were some things that God was working out, I just thought to myself, have I let this word saturate me? It's one thing to understand the word of God, and it's another thing to stand under the word of God. So I just prayed. I just prayed, and I prayed, 
and I prayed. And I asked God, what would you really want me to learn from this? What would you really want the church at the wall to learn from this? And it was this. It's quite simple. This, this life is going to be uncomfortable, church. Are you counting the cost and taking control? Are you counting the cost of following Jesus and taking control? Jesus is your creator. He's your redeemer. And he's your sustainer. There's no reason to do it. Don't be fooled. Christian, are you going through discomfort right now and giving up control? The cost isn't even a consideration because you are so enveloped in God's goodness and revelation in Jesus. This morning, praise him for that. Because there's going to be a season when you need to remember that. Unbeliever. And I'm sure we have him in here. Are you, are you working? Are you working for a relationship with God? Well, I can tell you this right now. This is not spoke on my own authority. You have a hole in your heart. You are running, never finding. Searching, never finding. But I'm telling you this right now. Jesus, our King, our Savior, came to live the perfect life and meet every need spiritually that you'll ever have. So my plea to you is if you haven't, maybe just now you're understanding that your sin has separated you from God and your sin had a penalty and that penalty was death and that Jesus came and paid that price. There should be nothing holding you back this morning because you can't do it without him. Nothing is going to end up fulfilling you. The band is going to come up and Pastor Kevin's going to come up and we're going to do communion this morning. And I'm going to be to the side and we've got Pastor Matt if you haven't given your life to Jesus, I want to I pray with you this morning. Christian, if you're struggling through this life and you need someone to pray with you, and I'm here for you. Kevin's here for you. Matt's here for you. I'm sure anybody in the church here would love to pray with you. So as, we, as Pastor Kevin comes up, um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll close us in prayer this morning. Um, but I hope this message has just shined on the glory of Jesus. Dear Lord, may our posture before you be humility, Lord. May you give us a contrite heart, Lord, that understands our position in relation to you, Father. If there's someone here who's grabbing for control and trying to take control of their life, help them to give it to you, Father. If there's someone who has never put their trust in you, Jesus, Lord, regenerate their heart right now. Bring them into a saving knowledge of you, Lord. Father, we love you. And I'm so thankful for the ability to share your word, Lord. As I said earlier, Lord, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word endures forever. Let that happen this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.